It is an unusual text to use in February, but it is valid. It is from Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 26. You may have heard this read several times a month or two ago. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do, do, not, uh, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. You will be with child. <laughs> you will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never Never, never end. And Mary's reply in verse 38 to all of this, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. This is the word of the Lord. It's a paradigm shift. The coming of Jesus, among many things, is a paradigm shift because you see up until this moment, all the kingdoms that have ever been have ultimately failed. Israel was born out of the failure of a failing kingdom, Egypt, which would decrease. They would grow up and become a great kingdom under David. David's kingdom would last uh, just about a generation before it divided into two separate kingdoms. The northern kingdom would, would succumb to the Assyrian Empire as it became the dominant force. And then the Assyrians would succumb to the Babylonians who would take over Judah and destroy them. And then they would be destroyed by the Greeks. And then the Greek Empire would be subsumed by the Romans, and in some sense, the coming of Jesus Christ is the death now and the end, the beginning of the end of the Roman Empire, as it was. The coming of Christ creates a paradigm shift, because up until now, all the kingdoms that have ever been ended. But at the beginning of Jesus Christ, at the proclamation of his coming, it says that this kingdom shall never end. See, paradigm shifts alter the way things are. They alter the pattern of the way things are, and everything changes. A new pattern, a new process, a new reality comes to being. I'm old enough, shut up, I'm old enough <laughs> to remember a time when every downtown of every small town, village, city, even major cities, you went downtown, there was always a camera shop. Because everybody had to go to the camera shop, and you had to visit the camera shop often because that's where you bought cameras, that's where you bought film, that's where you took the film to be... Do, there are some of you that don't have any idea what I'm talking about, right? What I'm talking about. And then you had the film developed, and then you went, you went back, and you got the... And, you, and then you would show pictures. 
And they had those, then the Polaroids came out, and it was so exciting because it had that little white strip border around it. You could go like this, yeah, right. You go like this, and you could say, see, there's the picture. It was instant. (laughs) My guess is most of you do not own a camera that isn't incorporated into your phone. Speaking of phones, Colin Farrell, the, um, the actor did a really good movie that probably will uh, be confusing to the next generations. You know what the movie is? It's called Phone Booth. What's a phone booth? Find one of those. Find a millennial who understands what a phone booth is. Unless they're a fan of Doctor Who, they probably have no idea what a phone booth is. They have disappeared from the face of the earth. The way we tell time was a paradigm shift. Do you know who helped us to get time uh, zones is the railroads. Because the railroads got quite frustrated because every town and every village and every city determined what high noon was, what 12 o'clock was, by what high noon was. When the, when the sun was directly overhead, that's when it was 12 o'clock. That makes sense. The problem is when it's 12 o'clock in Philadelphia, it's 1220 in Boston. And that didn't matter much when you didn't have to go from Philadelphia to Boston, but when the railroads came in and they would start on time, from one place and get to the next place that they had to go on time, it would be a different time. And so the railroads determined that when it was 12 noon in Philadelphia, it was 12 noon everywhere on the eastern seaboard. And when it was 12 noon at Memphis, it was 12 noon everywhere in the central part of the United States. When it was 12 noon in Denver, it was 12 noon everywhere in the mountain states. And when it was 12 noon in Fresno, And I know this because I pastored in Fresno. It's how I learned all this. When it was 12 noon in Fresno, California, it was 12 noon everywhere on the West Coast. And that became time zones. And it changed the way in which we told time. By the way, how many of you are wearing jeans today? Any of you, uh, if you check in your right pocket, how many pockets do you have on your right-hand side? You have one or two? Two. What's the second one for? for It's for a pocket watch. For a pocket watch. How many of you own a pocket watch? Yeah, both of you. Very good. <laughs> but they had to have it there, but then suddenly the way we tell time shifted. By the way, how many of you are wearing a wristwatch? How many of you are not wearing a wristwatch? There will come a point, no matter what Apple thinks, you will not wear a wristwatch. Because we just simply have it on our phones. Paradigm shifts. Do you know, by the way, do you, do you know why wristwatches, uh, the paradigm shift that occurred wristwatches, I think I may have shared this one at the time. The, the, in 1950s, 1960, 90% of the, of the watch market in the world was controlled by one nation, the Swiss. And then somebody came along with digital technology. Because, you see, the Swiss controlled the market because they were experts at gears and at winding and sprockets and springs and all that went with that. And somebody came out with digital technology. And the Swiss looked at it and said, where's the sprocket? Where's the the spring? Where's the winding? And they said, well, you don't have to do any of that. And they said, nobody will want that. Do you know how much of the wristwatch market, how much of the watch market the Swiss control today? Not 90%. 10%. 10%. By the way, the digital technology was first shown at a Swiss watchmaking convention. And do you know who invented it? 
the Swiss. When paradigms shift, there is one controlling rule about the shifting of paradigms that is immutable, and that is this. When a paradigm shift occurs, everything goes back to zero. Everything is changed. Everything is upended. When Jesus comes, and when it is announced that as he is not yet even arrived that this kingdom that will begin with his coming will never end. There is a paradigm shift that occurs because no one can conceive of an eternal kingdom. And then the way in which the kingdom is formed initially is revolutional. Because in this forming of the kingdom, the primary foundation is that it changes the nature of kingdoms. Because up until this point, power has been the controlling force around what makes a kingdom, what makes an empire. If I'm bigger than you, if I'm stronger than you, if I've got more army than you do, if I have more weapons, if I have more people, if I have more control, then I have more power. And Jesus comes on the scene, and suddenly there is a paradigm shift, not just from temporary to eternal, but there is a paradigm shift from power to submission. Because in the kingdom of God, power is gained by submission. The angel proclaims in verse 32 and 33 that Jesus will be great, that Jesus will have a throne, that Jesus will be over a house, that he will reign, that he will have a kingdom. But then when Mary responds in the 38th verse, she does not demand a position. She does not demand power. She doesn't say, where am I going to fit in the hierarchy of the power of this new kingdom? She instead responds with submission. Be it unto me. She is guaranteed nothing. She is not guaranteed a place. She is not given guaranteed life. It just says that she will birth the child. Name the child. There is no guarantee that she will live long enough to see the child grow. Jesus will come to emulate this paradigm shift in the way in which he lives out his earthly ministry. In the garden, when he is facing the cross, what does he do? Say, Lord, you've got to get rid of this because I'm the Messiah. Instead, he says, not my will but yours be done. When he stands before Pilate, and Pilate says, you know I've got the power, Jesus smiles and says, no you don't. Power is in the hands of God. And on the cross, he submits himself to death. A death that could not have occurred without his submission. You see, human beings can't kill God. The nails did not kill him. He submitted to death and gave up his life there is a big difference. Unfortunately, the church has been slipping into old paradigms in recent decades, old paradigms about the kingdom, about its thinking and its acting. Power resides in the pastor. You're the one that's got the vision. You're the one that has to have control. You're the one that's got to be in charge of the board. You're the one that's got to 
Power resides in the denomination. Oh, now I'm just meddling. I think I'll just pass that one by. Power resides in your position. It resides in your title. It resides in human authority. We're becoming more like the Pharisees than we are like Jesus. Temple courts have become the paradigm for the church instead of a house of prayer. We have come to embrace the way in which the world acts instead of which the kingdom of God acts. When the church embraces the new paradigm of the kingdom, great things can still happen. Great things will happen. Let me suggest just a few that can happen. The church, when it when it realizes that its task is submission and not power and authority, the church will become ultimately more multicultural, more racially diverse, more gender inclusive. Because it won't be about keeping other people out that aren't like me. It will be about including everyone in the kingdom. When we operate in submission rather than in fear, we don't fear the other who's different than us. We don't fear the one that looks different than us, that sounds different than us, that even thinks different than us. Now, I realize that by saying this, I'm saying something that's controversial. I'd like to tell you that I care. I do, that's why I'm saying something that I know has some controversy attached to it. Because if you embrace the idea that the paradigm shift that the kingdom brings is about inclusion, then that is a statement against the popular idea of church growth theology. Because church growth theology is about exclusion, not about inclusion. It's about getting more people like me not about including all those who can come. I realize this is an accusation against the purpose-driven church model. So be it. Because I don't think that the kingdom is about growing the church. I think the kingdom is about doing the will of God. I will tell you that while this may be a rejection of church growth methodology and purpose-driven church methodology, I do think it is an embracing of the Bonhoeffer model of what the church is supposed to be like. I think it is an embracing of Martin Luther King's dream for the church. And I do think it is embracing the Jesus paradigm where the poor, the marginalized, the women, Samaritans are all included in the kingdom of God. I also believe that when the church becomes when when the church comes to value the idea of submission over power, the church will become more bottom up than it is top down. See, the Old Testament system was top down. Top dog was either the prophet or it was the high priest. Under that were the other kinds of priests. Under that would be the people, the Levites that worked in the temple. There was a, a definite hierarchical system. That's the paradigm into which Jesus was born. 
It was priestly led, high priestly controlled. It was Sanhedrin empowered. And Jesus railed against it during his entire public ministry. Why? Because it wasn't based on submission. It was based on prophet to king to priest to people. And Jesus bypassed all of that and went to people and said, God can do things with you that can change the world. Paradigm shift in the kingdom in the New Testament was very much bottom up. It is evident here. Mary and Joseph. <laughs> There's a good choice. <laughs> Let's get a virgin and make her a pregnant mother. Let's get a Joseph, a nobody, a guy from Nazareth, a carpenter, and let's make him somebody. Let's take Elizabeth and Zechariah. They're terrible examples of what we really want because after all, they're old and they're barren. God obviously does not favor them. Let's get shepherds to be the first evangelists because after all, they're unclean. Let's get wise men because they're Gentiles. They're, they're valued here. Let's get Anna and Simeon to be the ones that proclaim that this really is the Christ because after all, they're old and they have no position. That's authority. Let's get the disciples. Let's get them. Let's choose fishermen and tax collectors. Eh, there's a good choice. Let's get Peter and Paul to be our primary spokesmen so we can get Peter, who is the chief denier, and we can get Paul, who is the chief accuser and persecutor. Let's worship a criminal that they hung on a cross who was illegitimate and a bastard child. Let's talk about that as the foundation of the kingdom. It's Bottom-up, not top-down. God has now chosen the poor in spirit to be in the kingdom. To be the kingdom. He's chosen those who are meek to inherit, those who are pure in heart to see God, those who are peacemakers to be children of God. I keep waiting for where are the kings and the prophets and the people of power, and I just don't see them. In those lists, those who hunger and, and thirst will be satisfied. The merciful will receive mercy. The, those who are persecuted because of their righteousness will be the ones who will become the population of the kingdom of God. That's bottom up, not top down. That's submission, not power. That's paradigm shift, and it's a paradigm shift even today. James chapter 2, verse 5 James simply says this. He says, listen, my dear brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom? He promised those who love him. You think it's an accident that when Jesus told the story of the good Samaritan, he chose a Samaritan to be good? Those are two words you didn't find in Israel very much at all, not paired together. Samaritans were hated. Samaritans were not Jews. Samaritans were crossbred. They came from other places. They weren't really Israelites. They weren't really accepted. They were latecomers. They were people that were grafted in, and they weren't the ones that were supposed to be part of it. And Jesus comes and says, oh, by the way, who's the good? Who's the neighbor? Who's the one who cares? Who's part of the kingdom? It's the one you left out. That is why the gospel is good news to the poor. It's why the gospel is good news to the oppressed. It's why the gospel is good news to the marginalized. And it's why the gospel ought to be good news to those who are white and who have tried to carry power out too much and live in it. 
It's about time we learned what submission is, not just as a race, but as a people. The gospel is good news to Hispanic migrants. It's good news to racially profiled African Americans. It's good news to stereotyped Asians. It's good news to the Syrian refugee, whether we let them in or not. It's good news to the homeless and to the downtrodden. Because the kingdom is inclusive, not exclusive. And the kingdom ought to look like something other than just me. We celebrate Black History Month around here every year. So naturally, they got a white guy to come up and, and preach during it. Let me tell you why we highlight Black History Month around here. It's not to be politically correct. I'm, I'm, I'm over that one. It is to teach black history. If you were here on Tuesday, Rick Gray did an incredible job. But it's to remind us all that there is a paradigm shift in the kingdom and that everybody gets included not just those who got to write the history and who got to make the decisions about what was important and what should be remembered. There's a paradigm shift, and the paradigm shift around here in the kingdom is from power to submission. The rabbis in Midrash tell an old story about a man who died and went to hell and when he got to hell, he noticed four things about hell. The first thing he noticed about hell was that hell was one long corridor as far as the eyes could see. Second thing that he noticed about hell was that there were, um, there were shelves. As far down the corridor as was possible to note, there were shelves. And on the shelf, there was food, food of every kind, every taste, every flavor, every culture. Third thing he noticed about hell was that everybody walked with their arms out to the side. Fourth thing he noticed about hell was that everybody was thin, emaciated, starving. So he stopped one of the men that was walking by and he said to him, he said, listen, I don't understand. You, you've got this, this food on the shelf, every kind of food that can imagine. It looks like you're all starving. What's the problem? He said, we are starving. I don't know if you've noticed down here, but in hell, everybody has to walk with their arms out to the side. And so every time we pick up a piece of food, we can't eat it. And so we're starving. In an instant, the man was transported from hell to heaven. When he got to heaven, he noticed four things about heaven. First thing he noticed was that heaven was one long corridor as far as the eye could see. Second thing he noticed about heaven was that there were shelves lining the corridor and there was food, every kind of food imaginable, every kind of taste, every kind of culture. Third thing he noticed about heaven was that everybody walked with their arms out to the side. Fourth thing that he noticed about heaven was that everybody was like an Adonis or an Aphrodite. They were well-fed. They were in extremely good condition. He stopped somebody as they walked by, and he said, Ma'am, I don't understand. I've been down to hell, and it's the exact same situation, and they're all starving to death. I come here to, to heaven, and you all seem well-fed. I don't understand what the difference is. And she looked at him and says, Well, I don't know what it's like in hell, but I can tell you that here in heaven, I don't know if you've noticed, but all of us have to walk with our arms out to the side like this. And so whenever we pick up a piece of food, we can't eat it. And so up here in heaven, instead, we feed each other. Come on. Come on. Come on. 
You want to know what the kingdom of God is? Put your arms out. Put your arms out. And learn to feed one another. Not because of how they look or how they sound, but because in the kingdom of God, the gospel is to be embraced by all cultures, all races, all genders, all people. For that is the paradigm shift that came with Jesus Christ. Would you stand with me? We're going to sing, and we don't often do this in chapel, but if you have a message that talks about submission, then maybe it's an opportunity for some of us to say, Oh Lord, I want to submit myself to you. And so if you'd like to come and make your way to the front while we sing, just as an act of submission, just as a way of saying, Oh Lord, I want to be part of that kingdom. I want to be part of that kind of place. I want to be part of that kind of church. I want you to allow me to help build your kingdom in that kind of way. Maybe if you want to just submit, not to power, but submit to the love of God who will enable these things to come. Then if Jesus is at the center of it all, it will happen. The front is open if you'd like to submit in Jesus' name.